0: Amen. Acts chapter 3 we're going to go through the whole chapter it's not that long and I've titled this message Giving and Receiving one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead. We are Witnesses of this, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer, repent, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Last week, I stated that the book of Acts describes the transformation of believers. In Acts 2 and here in chapter 3, we see a great example of this transforming power in the life of Peter. We see Peter here as bold, direct, authoritative, and led by the Spirit. And I want you to notice something, also, also notice something very important about this healing. Peter gives all glory to Jesus. He speaks about Jesus having healed the lame man As if Jesus was physically standing right there. That's how he's. That's how he's. This is what you've seen, Jesus. You know, and he's pointing to Jesus, and this is an important lesson for us, even before we get into the rest of the text, because in everything we do, we need to glorify Jesus. We need to present Jesus to everyone as real, living, and as if he's physically present here's jesus he's healing you here's jesus this is what he's saying to you i mean that should be how real how tangible jesus is we're not talking about a dead guru a dead teacher somebody who did some good things somebody who was morally upright and who's now you know no longer there on the earth no we're we're speaking about here let me introduce you to jesus That's the nature of this this transformation that's taking place in Peter and the apostles. That's the way they're they're speaking about Jesus. And so, you know, as we go through the book of Acts, you will notice time and time again, the apostles, they just constantly glorify Jesus. The book of Acts is describing the continuing ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Right? All right, so now back to the text and this first point that I want to make. We receive what we need. Acts chapter 3 verse 2 tells us that this man was lame from birth. Acts chapter 4, we'll we'll see this next week, but Acts chapter 4 verse 22, just just to tell you about this in advance, Acts chapter 4 verse 22 tells us that this man was over 40 years old. So after 40 years, this man who had learned to live with his disability, who relied on somebody else bringing him to a crowded place, the temple gate, so that he could beg for money, he had lost sight of his real need. He thought he needed money. So when Peter said, look at us, he looked expectantly at Peter and John for money. What he received was not what he expected. He received his sight. I was going to call this point, the lame man was blind. Because that was what was going on. He, when he was healed, it says he went walking and leaping into the temple courts. He didn't just run away somewhere else. And he didn't say, oh, that's great. But he went with them into the temple courts. Why? Because he wanted to praise God. His eyes were opened. And even unlike all the people around him, this man understood what God had done for him. Some of you know of Johnny Erickson Tada. She's an artist. She paints. She's an author. She's a radio host, she's the founder of an organization called Johnny and Friends. To date, at age 71, she has written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, she has starred in an autobiographical movie of her life, she has served on a number of presidential committees, she's an active conference speaker, And she serves on the boards of a number of different organizations. Dynamic, all sorts of stuff. But Johnny is also a quadriplegic. She's unable to use her arms or legs. She's paralyzed from the shoulders down and completely reliant on others to do anything. She has been in this state as a quadriplegic for 53 years. She broke her neck at age 18 in a diving accident. When Johnny was paralyzed, she considered herself a Christian and had even read the Bible. In fact, she read the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5, that story that we went through. And she was sure that Jesus would do the same for her. So I want to read to you. And I want you to listen to how she describes, in her own words, what happened to her. She says, After I was paralyzed, I made the rounds at local healing services, following every spiritual or scriptural injunction that might qualify me for physical healing. Elders prayed and anointed me with oil, and I confessed more sins than I could recall. But when nothing changed, I plummeted into despair. My arms and legs remained unresponsive. Didn't God know I was lost without limbs that worked? Didn't he understand I was a strong athlete on the inside? Surely he knew I was the least likely candidate to enjoy life in a wheelchair. After the third healing crusade, my sister drove me home to our Maryland farm. All the way I kept fuming. What kind of savior? What kind of rescuer or healer? would refuse the prayer of a paralytic, especially a paralytic who claims Christ as her savior. I felt bewildered and utterly lost. One morning I woke early, looked around my shadowy bedroom, and decided I didn't want to get up. If I can't be healed, I thought, then I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to live this way. I stayed in bed that day, and the next and the following week. The despair was claustrophobic, and I finally whimpered, I can't live this way. I'm so lost. God, show me how to live. It was my first plea for help. Next came fresh days when my sister would get me up, plop a Bible on a music stand, and park my wheelchair in front of it. With a mouth stick, I would flip this way and that, trying to make sense of it all. I learned that the core of Christ's plan is to rescue us from sin. Our physical aches and pains and broken relationships aren't his ultimate focus. He cares deeply about these things, but they are symptoms of the chief problem in this fallen world. God's goal is not to make us comfortable. He wants to teach us to hate our transgressions as he grows our love for him. I reread Luke 5, where Jesus healed the paralyzed man lowered by his friends through the roof. This time I studied the verses I had ignored. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Jesus could heal the paralyzed man because, and only because, he had authority as the Son of God to forgive sin. It was the point he wanted to make with the Pharisees. For him, healing withered legs would take no more effort than setting stars and moons in motion. For Jesus, it's all merely finger work. That's in Psalm chapter eight, verse three, where it says, you know, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. So Johnny is pointing out that healing is just like, you know, finger work. But when it comes to forgiving sin, It was no easy effort for our Savior. Our redemption required blood and a strong arm of salvation. That comes from Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 5. I collapsed in tears when I began to glimpse how heinous my sin was. Physical healing paled in comparison to the unthinkable abuse my transgressions heaped on my Lord. So, for more than 50 years in my wheelchair, I've been daily dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. My goal is to mortify my fleshly desires so I might find myself in Christ. God has been answering my prayer, exposing dark things in my heart, things from which I need to be healed. Does God miraculously heal? Sure, he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous healing, physical healing, has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. It's all to the praise of deeper healing in Christ. There can be situations in our lives that we think are hopeless. Maybe the barrier before you is very large and seemingly immovable. Maybe you've struggled with this issue for so long that you can't even remember what your life was like without it. Maybe you've been told that there's no way things can change and that you just need to be realistic. So you've done what you think you should. You've figured out how to cope, how to get by, how to get the help that you think you need. Or you've lashed out at God. You've given up. You've despaired of life. And all the while, the devil is thrilled that he can keep you from achieving your potential by derailing you from the purpose and plan of God. What we think we need is often not what we really need. In the case of this lame man in Acts 3, he was healed physically. In Johnny's case, she was not healed physically. But no matter what the outcome, no matter what happens, what we need is that our eyes and our hearts are opened and our lives are transformed. We need this deeper healing in Christ. This morning, you know, as I share this, as I read this story, as you read these things in the book of Acts, and you hear the testimonies of the people around us today in living, you know, beside us. I trust that you will pay attention to what your real need is. The lame man thought he needed money. We think we need money. I'm not saying you don't need money. We think we need pleasure, comfort, convenience, a career that's mapped out, a future that is certain, an assurance that Our children will do the right things. We need all these things because that's what we think. And we look to God with expectation for what we think we need. Silver and gold. These needs, Lord. These are the things that I need. This is what I want an answer for. This is what you need to say. This is how you need to demonstrate your power in my life. And if that doesn't happen, oh God, how could you do this to me? And God says, through his servants, through his word, through all the different ways that he can communicate with us. Now, by the way, God has the silver and gold too. But he says, what I have, what you need, is what I give. We receive if we are truly receiving from the Lord. And this month, as we give thanks, when we say, oh, look at all that I've received, we receive what we truly need. And so that's why when God calls us each to be transformed and then to be agents of that transformation in the lives of others, how do we do that? We give what we have. Verse 6 says, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Let me just tell you a very quick thing. It is very possible that this man was laid at this temple gate because it was high traffic for many years. We're reading about an incident here of Peter and John going to the temple at this time of prayer. It's very, very possible that Jesus, when he was coming through and going to the temple and moving through there, had passed by this man lying there right by the temple gate. Why didn't Jesus do it at that time? Why didn't he just say, oh, get up and walk? Because there was a timing. There was a purpose. There was a plan. There was a manifestation that was necessary of God's will. Not what we expect, not what we think, not the timing that we want, not the things that we think will happen. We say, God, we trust you. And so when Peter speaks to this lame man now, oh, we read this? I'll repeat it. As he's speaking to the people, things are happening. Things are happening. And we'll see in the next chapter, suddenly the church explodes. Why? Because the timing of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God is being fulfilled to give at the right time, in the right way. the slain man received what he needed. Peter gave what he was supposed to give at the right time. When we hear the word give, and especially in the church, especially when somebody stands up in the pulpit and talks about giving, what do we think of? Money. Money. Silver and gold. And we say, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have enough for myself even. I'm not going to give anything more. So when we think of giving, we think of silver and gold. But as I pointed out last week, our spiritual formation, how we mature as disciples of Christ, our discipleship maturities, enable us to do a lot more than just give money. As we study the word of God, as we live holy lives, as we learn about and then effectively communicate the gospel, as we demonstrate character, as we build community, as we serve and lead, and yes, as we manage money to give, save and invest, there's a lot more in us to draw from, to give out to others. It's not just, okay, here's my ten dollars. All of this, God is maturing in us, building us up, filling us, doing this, so that from that, we're able to give. Most importantly, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, when we receive and then minister the gifts of the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit to pray for each other, we can say, what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. We can only give What we have, the need then for each one of us is to be so full of everything God has for us, to be so full of the Holy Spirit, to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit, so that when we meet somebody in need, when we discern what their true need is, when we are led by the Spirit in the right time, in the right place, we give. We can give what we have, if we have what is necessary to give. And so, when we give and we receive, we build community. We build community when we give and receive. In the Bible, you know, the, the it it throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to keep looking at this, and we're going to keep coming back to this theme of the community that is built up of the body of Christ that is built up, of the way in which each part of the body is helping the other. The reason that God does that, that he describes us as members or parts of a body, of a living organism that depends on each part doing its work for the good of the whole, that's because he has created us to be in communities where we are interdependent and interconnected. God does not call us to live isolated lives. He calls us to live in the body. And in the body of Christ, he's calling us to interact with those that are in the world and saying to them, let me tell you about this, Jesus. Let me give you what I have. Let me share with you this truth that I have learned. Let me extend love to you, because I have received this love. And as we give that way, as we pour out like that, as we speak to others about who Jesus is, then the community is built. There is an interconnection. There is that interdependence. We're not on our own. We don't pursue the things of our own. We don't say, who cares about you? And we say, Oh, I need you, and you need me. I am able to give, and you are able to receive. You are able to give, and I am able to receive. There is that interdependence that comes to us so that we don't just receive, we also give. We don't just give, we also receive. And that mutually beneficial, mutually beneficial God glorifying relationship enables us to grow together, to serve together, to multiply our efforts. You know, the, the descriptions in the Word of God of us being built up as a holy temple, a living temple, living stones in the temple of the Lord, the description in the Word of God as us being, you know, the, those... those Vines or those trees that are, you know, constantly sort of affecting each other. The description in the word of God of us being army, an army of God. The description in the word of God of us being athletes who are running this race, who are encouraging the others and who are being encouraged by those that have gone before us. The description in the word of God of us being interconnected in a body that functions in a healthy manner these things are not by accident, and they are deliberately pointing to our need to, to build this community. Our community that is built in this way is not because we do what we think we need. Right? Again, hear me. I'm not saying that you, we shouldn't have picnics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do things that are fun. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look for opportunities to do things with one another. But more than anything else, we need to give to each other what we have, what the Holy Spirit fills us with, what the Word of God that is dwelling richly in us can now be spoken out. The presence of the Lord Jesus in us, transforming us, needs to come out of us. And then when we speak like that to each other, the Bible describes it as iron sharpening iron that the Bible describes it as, as that mutual encouragement that refreshes us and builds us up. So all through this, you know, as we keep going through the book of Acts, we're going to see more and more examples of this. We're going to come into some very interesting things in, in the next set of chapters that show how the church thought of these things, who, how they responded to these things. But this morning, this is just a very simple message based on this story of the slain man. Let's be conscious of the fact that we need to receive from the Lord what we truly need. When we receive from the Lord, we need to give to others. And when we give and receive, we will build community. So that means that we need to respond. And we respond in faith by receiving. We pray in faith. We read the word with understanding. We participate fully in every opportunity and meeting and gathering and session, online, whatever. We engage joyfully in every interaction. We say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to see this person. or I, Oh, I just ran into them in the store. What should I say? What should I give them? What is in me right now that I need to be able to give to this person? How should I bless them? And we interact in these ways as we receive from the Lord. I want to encourage you that you come expectant. The lame man looked expectantly at Peter and John. That's a good thing. We need to be expectant too. But we need to come expecting to hear from the Lord. We need to be expecting to be led by the Holy Spirit to give to others. So every time we come together, Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm going for a Sunday worship service. Lord, I want to receive something from you. I want to expect your Holy Spirit moving in our midst. Lord, when I come together there and I see my brother and my sister, oh, we want to speak a word of encouragement to one another. I want you, Lord, to move and to have your way in our midst. Come with that kind of expectation. Come with that kind of faith. Come saying, Lord Jesus, you can have your way. And will the Lord do it? Absolutely. So we we respond by saying, Lord, I want to receive from you. But then we apply what the Lord is saying by giving. What we receive, it's not just for our good. It's not just for us to hold on to. We are receiving so that we can freely give. We have received freely, abundantly, lavishly. Now we give. That's our goal. We say, Lord God, fill me up so that I can give. Fill me up so that I can give. Fill me up so that I have a good word to speak to somebody. An apt word, a timely word, an encouraging word. Fill me up so that there's a material action that I take. Preparing meals for people, doing something else tangible, whatever it may be. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up so that I can give. So we respond by receiving, we apply by giving. You know, when we respond, we're saying, I want to get filled up by God. When we apply, we're saying, we want to be poured out for others. We want to be filled up with God and then poured out for others. We're a pipe. We're not a lake, a reservoir, a tank. We're a pipe. Flow and flow out. We want the power of the Lord and everything of God to come into us, but it's not just there. It flows from us, through us. Peter and John going there, ministering to this man so so that Peter can say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give you. That's the power of the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, you have called us to give and to receive. Lord God, let there never be any kind of pride or self-sufficiency or anything in us that keeps us from doing both. And let there not be any rebellion or, Lord, turning away from you that keeps us from receiving all that you have intended for us. Father, we don't demand, we don't prescribe to you what it should be. But we say, Lord God, you help us to have discernment To know what our true need is. And then to ask you for that. Father, there are things that discourage us, bring us down, hurt us, stress us. But in the middle of all of that, Lord, we look expectantly to you. And we thank you that we can receive. Father, we pray that each one of us would be built up in these days. Lord, that we would be so full of what you have intended for us, so full of your purpose and plan for us, so full of your gifts and calling in us, so full of the power and the anointing in us, so that, Father, we could freely give to others. Oh, Lord God, use us for that. Bless us, Lord. Oh, Lord, mold us together as a body, as a community that truly calls upon you. This morning, I want to just take a few minutes and have you just to take a minute even, and to ask the Lord, Lord, help me. What are the areas in my life that I have been expecting in a certain way or calling out for a certain thing? I've been even reading those scriptures that speak of healing and saying, oh, Lord God, you heal. And then I've been disappointed. I have maybe despaired. I have maybe lashed out. Instead, Lord, today, come. Meet the true need of my life. Bring deep inner healing. Areas in your life in which you have been hurt. Where somebody has hurt you. Areas in your life where you have lost something. Lost someone. Areas in your life where there has been great disappointment. Turn it to the Lord. Give it to him. Let him move. Let him have his way. Pray. Call out to him. Call out to him today. Lord Jesus loves you so much. Loves you so much that he did all that he did. Because as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave everything that he could. He gave for us. Hallelujah.